uh, Exodus 15. If you don't, you could uh, fire that up um, by doing a quick Google search on your device or just check out on the screen here. Exodus 15. And what we're thinking about today is what is the essence of an appropriate response to salvation? What's the essence of an appropriate response to salvation? When God's people see that they have been saved, what then? What do they do then? And we're going to look at that and think about that this morning. So would you, would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for how you have promised to be with us. And we know you're with us through your spirit, working through your word. Week after week after week we come and we want to embrace who you are based on who you've revealed yourself to be. And so, Lord, open our hearts, open our eyes by the power of your spirit this morning to see and to rejoice in light of who you are and what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you all have noticed, but by and large, human beings are people that sing. Now, this isn't to say you have to be a good singer, but it's just to say that human nature, there's something about when we gather, when we get together, we sing as a people. So, like, let me just give you some examples. Like, in, in certain situations and circumstances, it's just what we do. So, to express love for country, we don't have, like, a collective poem that we recite. We don't have a collective speech. We don't do like some interpretive dance, as amazing as that would be, uh, to, to witness. No, what do we do? We have a song. Every culture, like the Olympics right now, when you got the gold medalists on the podium, what do they do? They play a song, and oftentimes, whoever's on that podium, gold medal, they sing along with that song. We have a national anthem. Now, why do we do that? Why do we sing to to draw attention to the greatness and glory of a certain country? A dedication, an outpouring of emotion in song. There's a lot we could say about that, but suffice to say for now, it's just part of how God has made us. It's hard to nail down the why in in a logical, kind of analytical way. It's just... Birds sing and and human beings, we sing. I'll never never forget the first time it dawned on me that Green Bay Packer fans are insane. (laughs) I was uh, living in Albuquerque at the time, and my friend worked for the Denver Broncos, and so we got tickets to the Packers coming to town in Denver. So we drove up from Albuquerque to Denver, And the first thing that struck me that I was blown away by is in the stadium. Now, this is a Packer away game. We're in Denver, and there literally were more Packer fans than Bronco fans. Like, how does that happen? Like, I mean, I didn't even know you could get that many tickets for an away team. Like, it was crazy. But literally, it was probably a little, like, 55% Packer, 45% Broncos. It was amazing. And so it was a really good game, tight game the whole way. It was Brett Favre's last Monday night game as a Packer, and it went into overtime. And some of you might remember this if you're really hardcore. Uh, First play of overtime, 
Brett Favre goes deep, 80-yard pass, Greg Jennings, touchdown, game over, immediately. So it's like all this tension over time, and then just as quick as that, game over. So as you can imagine, Packer fans were exuberant, overflowing with joy, right? And so immediately, game's over, so everybody leaves all at the same time. And so we're kind of like walking through the stadium corridors, you know, that slow march that you do as you're trying to leave. And all of a sudden, the Packer fans burst into song in the lobby. Like, I didn't know that, like, you had a song that you sing as a Packer fan. I was oblivious to that. But they just start singing this song. I couldn't recount it um, if I tried, but all I remember is they were singing this victory song, right, as we're all walking out of the stadium. Like, who does that? Well, evidently, crazy Packer fans do. But it illustrated to me, again, that there's something about singing that human beings do that expresses joy. Like, if we can't sing as a people, it's like we would be suppressed. We've got to express ourselves more than just talking, more than just speaking, reciting. No, we've got to express in song. We sing in response to greatness and joy in our human experience. Well, that gets to the heart of what we're going to see today in Exodus 15. God's people are a singing people. In response to the greatness and joy not of a football game, but of their salvation. God's people are a singing people. God's people are a singing people. So do you remember where we left off last week? Or kind of like where we've, been, where we've left off in light of the whole book of Exodus. See, the whole book of Exodus up to this point has kind of been leaning and straining. All of the uh, suspense has been moving towards what we saw last week, right? It started with a promise. God says to Moses, Moses, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I have a plan to save my people. I mean, that's right out of the gate. God's people are suffering, and God comes to Moses, and he's going to save them. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, who is this God? I don't know anything about this God. There's no way that's going to happen. And then, and then Moses says, well, if you choose not to let these people go, then I'm going to bring ten horrific plagues on you. And Pharaoh's like, bring it. And so God does, and it's really, really bad. And it gets to the point where Pharaoh's had enough. He says, all right, I was good at plague one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, but number ten, we're done. Get these people out of here. Let them go. And then he changes his mind. And God's people are pinned up against the Red Sea. The hordes of Pharaoh's army are bearing down on them. And God does this mind-bending miracle. And he parts the Red Sea so that his people go through. And then the waters of judgment come and implode upon God's enemies. And so what do we have? Chapter 14 ends like we saw last week. And what happens? It's this massive, the ultimate picture of Old Testament salvation that they draw upon over and over again in the Old Testament. God part of the Red Sea, God's people are saved. No longer enslaved, no longer oppressed by tyranny. So what, what do God's people do 
the first thing they do in light of this, they sing. They sing. Look at chapter 15. This is called the Song of Moses. We're not going to go through this verse by verse like we usually might do. But I want to give you three reflections on this song. And consider how it might help deepen our response to our salvation as well. If you want to respond, here's the whole point for this morning. If you want to respond rightly to the salvation of the Lord that you have, you might want to consider these three things. To glorify God and maximize your joy. Number one, what we're going to see here is the focus is all on the Lord. Number one, the focus is all on the Lord. Number two, the victory is all the Lord's, it's not ours. The victory is all the Lord's, it's not ours. And then number three, our God is utterly unique. Our God is utterly unique. There is none like him. Those are the things we're going to see and have that impact our hearts so we can respond rightly as well. Verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you will overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as a stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever. For when the horses of Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea... The Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. 
Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. So what could we say about this song of worship in response to what God has done? Well, the first thing that jumps off the page, if you just kind of do an overview, like a 30,000-foot view, a a glancing over of these 21 verses, the, the thing that jumps off the page to me right off the bat is, number one, it's not a lot about us in here, is there? It's all about God. It's all about God and what he has done. It's his power, his power, his power, his might, his glory, his strength. I mean, just glance through it. Do you see much about us? It's all about him. It's, it's, it's Moses saying, your, 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 not our, our, our. It's your, your, your. And this is so simple, yet so profound in terms of how this can land in your life. Like, in light of what God has done, it's kind of a no-brainer that our focus should be on him. If you really get what he's done, right? See, if you have stood on the edge of the Red Sea and you saw the wrath of the Egyptians bearing down on you to kill you, and then God does this miracle where he parts the Red Sea and you walk through and they come in after you and he destroys them and you know that you've been saved and you've been enslaved for 430 years and your salvation all of a sudden comes on you, it lands on you in a moment. Does that lead you to, to navel gaze? Does that lead you to go, man, I am awesome? No, that's the most insane thing ever, right? See, when we remember what God has done in our lives to save us from his wrath, it it, it frees us from that prison of narcissism that we all gravitate towards. See, a response to God's salvation is probably going to involve singing where all the focus is on him. Like, I gotta figure out a way to express this amazing joy that is, that is bubbling over in my heart, out of my mouth, in song. Because it's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about him. And it's not even like how I feel. It's just all about him and who he is. It's just all about him. That's why at the Vine, we try to start our services. This is intentional. And we don't do it this way all the time. There's, there's exceptions to the rule all the time. But most of the time, um, we start with songs that are just about God. Like who he is and what he's done. Like a mighty fortress is our God. His kingdom is forever. We know that that, that the more we take our eyes off ourselves and place them on God, the more we behold the grandeur and greatness of God and focus less on ourselves, the more glory he gets and the more joy we get. So we see that clearly in this song. The focus is all on him. The focus is all on him. Number two, the foundation of the response 
is the victory of the Lord. You see that here over and over again. The victory of the Lord. The Lord wins. The Lord wins. Just like crazy Packer fans sing in light of a TD on the first play of overtime that secures the win, God's people sing because God has secured the win. God has scored the ultimate touchdown. So God's people sing in response to his victory, to his victory. Look look at verse 1. I will sing to the Lord, comma, and if you're reading your Bible thoughtfully, you should be like, well, why? Why should I sing to the Lord? Don't just take that at face value. I will sing to the Lord. Well, why would you want to sing to the Lord? Comma, for, now these little words are some of the most powerful words in the Bible. When you see the word for, after a statement like that, you're like, okay, here it comes. I'm going to get a reason now. I'm going to get a reason, and that reason should be really, really important. It's the ground on which we build this building. It's the foundation that will not move, that we build this building of why I'm singing to the Lord. You see this? I will sing to the Lord. Well, why are you going to sing to the Lord? For, here's the reason, here it comes. For he has triumphed gloriously. What does that mean? Well, the horse and the rider, he's thrown into the sea. We sing for or because what? That's all language of the Lord's victory. His show of how great and awesome he is. Look at, it's described as, and it's emphasized here, he's the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea, verse 1. Then jump down to verse 21. He says it again. The horse and his rider, the, the Miriam is singing this. The horse and his rider he's thrown in the sea, the end of verse 21. Verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea. He says it there again. The focus is on the victory of the Lord. What has he done? He's defeated his enemies. God's people are saved. So what could be more appropriate than singing? I'm going to give you a lot of sports illustrations today. Here's number two. So um, I, I grew up in a smaller town, Cedar Falls, Iowa. And in Cedar Falls, Iowa, there is the University of Northern Iowa. That's where I went to college. And since I grew up in the town, I was a fan of the Northern Iowa Panthers. And I was a basketball kid, and so I was really into the Northern Iowa basketball team. And so in junior high, high school, they were really good. But Northern Iowa is a small school. So when they play a big school like Wisconsin or University of Iowa, Northern Iowa would always get trounced. It's kind of like JV versus varsity because they're a small school. And so typically those small schools have a, hard, a really hard time getting into the big event at the end of the college basketball season, which is March Madness. In a few weeks, a lot of you are going to be filling out your brackets, passing it around the office. Um, and it's, a, it's an exciting time. The field of 64, it's a big deal. And so when I was a kid, Northern Iowa almost never was able to qualify for that big tournament. Well, this year, I think I was a freshman in high school, uh, it was the final game of the conference tournament, and the way it works is the winner of the conference tournament automatically gets a bid to be in that big tournament. And so this is the biggest game of the year. They win the game, they go to the big dance, they go to March Madness. It's a huge deal. Tight game, they're playing Wisconsin Green Bay, who's in their conference. Really good team, and it comes out of the wire, and Northern Iowa wins. So it's pandemonium, everything, everyone's going crazy. And then what happens? 
they put over the loudspeakers the classic victory song, we are the champions, my friend, right? And what does everybody do? Does everybody like just sit quiet and just listen and sway back and forth? No. You got a whole stadium singing along, right? Like how could you not? We're, we're, we're all just like drunk with joy. Maybe some people literally drunk, but um, drunk with joy that's going to gonna like compel us to sing and sing loud. How could we not sing along to that song in light of what just happened? And that's exactly what happens here in this text. Overcome with joy, the song, the singing, what does that do? It accentuates the joy that God's people feel. It helps them respond as they should when they reflect on what just happened. And what just happened? The text emphasizes it. The victory of the Lord. It's like we got to sing or our hearts are going to explode. So question for us. Do we focus on the victory of the Lord? If you are a Christian this morning, God has been unbelievably victorious in your life. And there's so many ways that the Bible talks about this. One way, Romans 8 says that in Christ, we are more than conquerors. Another way to say that would be, in, if you're in Christ, he has secured the victory for you, and there is no chance of defeat ever. So let's sing. Let's sing about that. Don't compress or suppress or be an oppressor to your own joy. Let it come out. White people are bad at this. You ever notice that? Yeah? Like, we need to get better at this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know why that is. What, the, what is it with our culture? Our culture, white culture. There's, there's diversity here in this room. But if you're white, man, let's... Don't be afraid of giving them an amen or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I fantasize about preaching in a black church sometimes. It's like, at least you know how people feel, you know? And I mean, y'all got to be who you are. I get it. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm going way off script right now. But what I'm getting at is there's something to be said for, um, you know, come into, his, come into his courts with gladness. That's what the psalmist says, right? He does, amen. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Right? There's, there's something to be said for that. Like, we don't, it doesn't say come into his courts with just like shy, somber, nicey-niceyness. Like, gladness. Well, what does gladness look like, right? So, whatever. I'm, I, this is not the point of the sermon, all right? But if the Lord is um, victorious in our lives, there's something to be said in how we express that. And one of the main ways we do that is through singing. We're more than conquerors. So, number one, what do we see in this text? We see that the focus is all on the Lord. And number two, what do they do? They sing but the singing has content. The singing is focused on his victory. Verse 1, verse 4, verse 21. And then thirdly, what do they sing about? They sing about the uniqueness of God. They sing about the uniqueness of God. Look at verse 11. This kind of sums it up. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, Awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. Here's another little tidbit for no extra charge. 
Focus on the rhetorical questions that the Bible asks you. Because that's what this is. There's a ton of rhetorical questions in the Bible if you're looking for them. Who is like you, O Lord? That's a great rhetorical question. Answer, no one. Like, if God is for us, who can be against us? Answer, no one. If the Lord is my shepherd, here comes a rhetorical question, whom shall I fear? Answer, no one, if the Lord's my shepherd, right? Like, who is like you, O Lord? Meaning, in light of this context, who can part the Red Sea? Can you do that? Can I do that? Nope. But our God did. Our God did. So what does that mean? That means that he's utterly unique. There is no one like him. And God's people got a front row seat, right? It's like they're standing on the edge of the Red Sea, and they look back over their shoulder like, whoa, what just happened? That was completely over our heads. We were completely powerless, and God's salvation just kind of came in, and, and, and it lands on you as you look over your shoulder and see what just happened. Our God is utterly unique. No one can do that but our God. We're in this season, like I already mentioned, of the Olympics, right? And so people get really excited about the Olympics, as they should. The question is, why? Like, let's think about that. Why do we get really excited about the Olympics? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons why. But one of the biggest reasons, I think, is because these athletes are the best of the best of the best of the best. This is the the one hundredth of one percent. I mean, this isn't just the one percenters. This is like... Way, way, way more minute than that of a, of a fraction or of a percentage. Because these, why? Because these people can do things that we can't do. I see these guys going off the, the ski jump and doing like 45 different flips and then they land. I'm like, who does that? I mean, how can you even like practice that without breaking your neck? Because you got to have like a, a lot of, in the process of learning that, times where you just crash and I, I don't understand it. Like, those people are unique. Who can do that, right? And as a result of their uniqueness, we go crazy over them, right? We all watch. We all want that front row seat, right? We get stories of their lives. We, we get it. There's all these narratives that are weaved by NBC to show us these people. Like, I mean, whatever, the, the last... Uh, Winter, uh, Summer Olympics, it was all, the big narrative was Michael Phelps. And we got to see Michael Phelps, and now he's engaged, and they have a baby, and his mom shows up to every meet. And how many times will we have to see Michael Phelps' baby, right? With the headphones on, because it's too loud in the, in the pool stadium, right? Like, we're all about these athletes and their lives. And, and we're fascinated. Why is that? Because they're so elite. Because they're so unique. It's like they're modern-day superheroes. But you know how our hearts do that? I think it's because we are fixated with greatness. We long for unique greatness, and when we see it, we want to be around it. I think that's why our culture is so fascinated with superhero movies, right? And the big one right now is Black Panther, right? Morgan's excited 
Yep, she's into it. Have you seen it yet? No? Okay. Well, we, we talk about superhero movies in Porterbrook sometimes in light of some of the stuff as we think about cultural um, artistic expression. And, and we, we broke that down. Like, we love superhero movies because we know as people we're weak and we're frail and we need a savior. And that's what that represents. Someone who's not weak and frail and has unique, utterly unique power coming in to save. I think that's part of why our culture resonates with these movies, because it touches on who we are at core as human beings. Our hearts cry out for that which is utterly unique in power and ability. And that's what we have in this song of response from God's people to the Lord. They're all about his uniqueness. It's a great rhetorical question. Again, who is like the Lord? Who is like the Lord? Answer, no one. Absolutely no one besides our God can part the Red Sea and thus use it to defeat his enemies. This is utterly unique in all the universe. It puts our Olympic superheroes and our fictional superheroes to shame. Verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? So three things we can learn from how to respond to God in light of who he is and what he's done. The focus has to be all on him. Our narcissism is a prison. But when the eyes are on him, there's freedom, there's joy, and he gets the glory. Number two, it's his victory and not ours. It's his victory and not ours. He is the one who does it. And then thirdly, We rejoice in the uniqueness of our God. There is nothing more unique than the power of God expressed in an ancient Roman crucifixion of God himself laying down his life for those who were his enemies. It doesn't get more unique than that. And then seeing his power overcome the penalty of sin and resurrected from the dead so that all those who know this and rejoice in this and desire this can be united to him by faith in repentance and know this power as well. Like, that's unique. That's unique. That's New Testament Red Sea parting. Okay? The Apostle Paul sat down one day to write a letter to the church in Rome And he articulated over the course of 11 chapters what I just articulated in 30 seconds. The essence of this gospel. How is it that now we don't have a Red Sea enslaved to Egypt kind of salvation? What do we have? We have Jesus. And we have a cross and we have an empty tomb. And Paul articulated that in 11 chapters of the book of Romans. You go home and read it if you've never read read it in in one sitting. It's maybe the most precise articulation of the gospel that we have in the Bible. And he gets to the end of just who God is and what he's done, and it's like kind of that the rocks are going to cry out moment if I don't, because he's so in awe of who God is, what he's done, his victory expressed in the gospel, and how utterly unique God is in light of this gospel. And he just overflows 
with praise. And this is what he says. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Here comes a rhetorical question. For who has known the mind of the Lord? No one. And who's been his counselor? No one. Here's another one. Who's given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. Is it, is it, is it us the glory? No, no, no. It's to him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how it shows us to respond rightly to the salvation that can be for all those who have faith and trust in Jesus and what he's done to save. And Lord, I pray that if there is a weakness in our response this morning, that you would help us. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. And, and Lord, we want to rejoice in you for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.